And praise the Lord, remain standing for prayer. If you would, remain standing for prayer. Uh, so a couple of things real quick I just want to mention. I don't think I've talked about this yet, but, you know, our, our, our church uh, tithes just like we, you know, uh, tell you you should tithe. And so we'll take 10% off the top. That becomes our missions budget. Most, m- a lot of that, most of that is committed every month to a number of missionaries and a few organizations, so 40-ish, something like that. So, um, so a lot of that's committed. But then, besides that, many of you designate, and that usually uh, amounts to the same amount. I mean, so we send double missions uh, uh, support out, as it were. Um, and, you know, missions uh, is getting the gospel cross-culturally or to, a, to another place and so every quarter we put out a newsletter. So I think there are copies of this on the desk out in the lobby if you want to see it. And that way, if you pick up one of these and look through it, and everybody, anybody ever asks you, well, how big an old missions church are you? You can open this 55-gallon drum of missions on them and, and show them what it is. Also, we have, uh, we, we have tubs of more of these in the back, and there is at least one tub, I think, in the lobby if you want to pick up some of these on your way out and take with you, and I would encourage you. So here's, here's what's going to happen. So next Sunday, Easter Sunday, the kids are going to walk in. They're going to suspend their disbelief, and they're going to be walking into a Jerusalem market, and that's what it's going to be for them. And you're going to come, and maybe anybody you invited or brought with you, and you're going to walk in and put yourself into the story next Sunday. And, you, you know, we as Americans, we have no problem suspending our disbelief. We do it for every animated feature out there. So I want you to suspend your disbelief that God can use you, or suspend your distrust of God really being able to use you and, and take these up and, you know, just ask God maybe who you ought to give them to or maybe you have people in mind, pick up however many you need and share that around and, you know, see if they won't come with you. Go ahead and go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you today, Lord, as we come on this Palm Sunday to be able to look into a counterintuitive passage, but it's, it's really the after the afterflow, it is the effect, it is the outflow of what you did on that Sunday and a triumphal entry to Jerusalem, but it didn't stop there. So Lord, be with us as we open your word today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, make an unmistakable impression that we have to respond to. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John, chapter 13. I, yeah, I went down to Midtown uh, yesterday, Midtown Baptist Temple. We had a photo shoot for uh, Living Faith Bible Institute teachers, so they wanted to get pictures of us. They put up on the website and so forth. And Sam Miles and I were talking, and you know, they bought a new building. Uh, right on Main Street, it's actually the Meyer Building, which was an old Woolworth store in the 3900 block of Main. And he was, you know, showing me all around it. He said, you know, whenever we get a million dollars, we're going to do this. I said, well, Sam, all you have to do is pray. You just pray that God will give me a Powerball ticket that is the winner. 
and, and I will, I'll take care of that. He said, well, in that case, let's make it two just so that we're not short on anything. And, and you know, I, I say that because one time I read of a couple went to Las Vegas and played the slot machines for a few minutes, just a few minutes, won a million dollars. They went back two weeks later to the same slot machine and won $26 million. And my question is, why should that happen to anyone twice when it's never happened to me once? You know, it's stories like those I understand keeps the, you know, the gaming industry going because then you can experience a payday without ever having a work day. But no one is exempt from this attraction. And believe it or not, Everyone sitting in here today is a gambler. And you may not play poker, shoot dice, you know, go to the roulette wheel, buy lottery tickets, trade stock options, or even have cryptocurrency. But everybody here is still a gambler because you are betting on something or someone to get you through this life and then something to happen to give you life after death. And I can see by the shine on your halo that you're trying to tune me out today. So just raise your hand if you've ever had a conversation with anyone about what you would do if you struck it rich. Even if that conversation was just in your head. Okay, now you can turn to your neighbor and say, you're in good company. So can I ask you a question? What are you betting on right now? I mean, if we were honest, we would admit many of the things on which we gamble do not pay off. The dice didn't roll right, the numbers don't add up right, the relationship doesn't work right, the career doesn't develop right, that investment doesn't grow right, oh, oh Lord. The degree doesn't break the glass ceiling, the car doesn't function, the house falls apart, the climb to the top becomes a stumble to a stop. Your friends get fickle, your family acts funny, your finances get fractured, and the future looks fuzzy as your, uh, your feelings get offended. So sooner or later, everybody has to decide where to place their bet in this life. Where have you placed that bet? Or in the words of Alexander Hamilton, are you throwing away your shot? Twelve men leave their family, their friends, and their viable occupations to become homeless students and disciples banking their future on the often incendiary and disturbing words of a revolutionary leader from Nazareth. And that one bet radically changed their lives. You know, for a while, everything looked good. Their influence was building, Jesus was preaching, the sick were recovering. They were not throwing away their shot. Crowds flocked, and Jesus was the newest and the hottest teacher, preacher, and prophet there on the Galilean stage. I mean, he was the flavor to savor of the day. I mean, who could imagine where this might lead? They hooked themselves to an obviously rising star, but things at that point started to go sideways. So can I give you a context so that our text is not a pretext? Because hostility started to follow them as a result of Jesus' direct challenge to the self-serving values of the religious and political elite. 
And so he gives a relentless call to a radical discipleship of God's words as a daily walk. Now, that was always difficult to digest, but now it's even more problematic as the disciples find Jesus is saying things like this. Look on your handout, Mark chapter 9. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Luke 22, he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Matthew 23, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So Jesus' language becomes unnerving, so much so that some even of his closest family suggest he is unhinged. Just listen to him. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, lay down your life, take up my yoke, and that is what it means to follow me. So Peter finally asks the question that's on everybody's mind in Matthew 19, verse 27. Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Now note that question. I want you to stick it in your back pocket and save it for the end today. But he asks, what is, what is our payoff? What is in this for us? Why should I change with your challenge in order to complete my call? Why start ministering the word as opposed to just showing up on Sunday? See, sooner or later, everyone has to decide where to place their bets in life so they are not throwing away their only shot. Can I encourage you to bet on Christ and his coming kingdom? And can I encourage you in the meantime to bet on servanthood? Since, and this is our thesis for today's study, since servanthood is the necessary preparation for rulership and leadership in the coming kingdom of Christ. King Jesus was a servant, particularly a servant of the word. And that means if you want to really follow him, you have to serve the word as well. So let me walk into the John 13 weekday after the celebration of John 12 Palm Sunday. Jesus and his disciples are reclining at dinner. John's is the only gospel that devotes five chapters to these events that take place in less than six hours up in a second floor room in Jerusalem. So not on the ground floor, they're kind of suspended somewhere between heaven and earth. In first century society, you went to a public bathhouse before dinner, before you went to somebody else's house to have dinner, and you got yourself clean, and then you left that bathhouse clean from head to toe, but you would slide your feet into some open-toed sandals and walk down a dusty road. And so you arrived for supper, but your feet, they got all dirty walking. So either you find a basin of water already prepared and you wash your own feet, or a servant meets you at the door and washes your feet, or if you are the honored guest, then the master meets you and he washes your feet. Because since you recline while you eat and you're not sitting in a chair, you don't want other guests to dine with your dirty feet in their face. So as the disciples enter the upper room, they see everything is arranged, but the foot washer is unaccounted for and absent. I mean, there was a shortage of workers in that day, like, the, like there is, is today, and especially at Passover in Jerusalem. 
So the absence of an attendant crafted a special creative context of tension among those same disciples, mainly because, and this is our first point for study, nobody wants to deal with the dirt. And I wish I had some time right there, but can I just borrow the screen of your anointed imagination? Because Peter's sitting here, he's digging the scene with his preacher lean. And he kind of knows that he's one of the top three. And so he says, look, if you think I'm going to get on my knees and do that, you crazy. James is sitting there saying, well, you know, I have a title. I'm actually one of the sons of thunder. And I'm one of the first ones that he chose. So I have too much seniority to stoop to do the dirty work. Let one of those probies drop down and wash my feet. John is saying, well, look, me and Jesus, we're tight, bro. I mean, he loves me. I'm just saying, I'm the one that he loves. So if you think that I'm going to deal with my own peers, corns, calluses, bunions, and donkey dung, you got another thing coming. So Bible revelation reports nobody moves. The tension mounts, the disciples freeze. None of them agree to do it, and after a while, looks like nobody's going to do it because dinner is served. So they just be calm and carry on. John 13, verse 2, and supper being ended. I mean, the disciples are so resolute in not serving by washing each other's feet and dealing with the dirt. They say, just look, bring on the food. I'd rather sit here with your dirty feet in my face than serve you by dealing with your dirt. So just like today, nobody in church wanted to deal with discipleship dirt, deal with a disciple's dirt with the word of God. Now, Jesus does something unprecedented because this whole drama offers him an opportunity to represent the truth of the first verse of this chapter, how to love continually to the uttermost. So the party's in progress. There's a breach of protocol, a violation of proper etiquette. But, you know, very often, and this is our second point for study, if you're going to move up in the kingdom of God, you got to move down in companionship with your king. So you become willing to do what is unconventional. Jesus takes off his suit coat. He pours water in a jug. He rolls up his sleeves. He gets on his hands and knees with a towel and a bucket and starts washing the gritty, grimy, ashy, nasty feet of his 12 faulty followers. He didn't use a towel to wash. He used a towel to dry. That means he's using his own hands to wash. I mean, can you imagine how quiet that room got? And they're, they're just arguing on the way there about who's the greatest in the kingdom. I mean, these men just brickwalled one another when any of them had the audacity to suggest that any other of them should take up this task and serve. In six hours one Wednesday, Jesus needs to tell them his closing comments, his final remarks, his concluding instructions, his last will and testament before he dies. So chapters 13 to 17 contain such important stuff not mentioned in any other gospel. He wants to get it to these men and through these men to us before he leaves. But they are not ready to receive it because their own dirt and the drama that exists between themselves. So look at how he busts through all of this as he shows us why servanthood is the best hood. Because when he finishes standing there with a filthy towel and a basin full of muddy water, here is what he says. Look at verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments, 
and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? I mean, do you even recognize? Let me give you an experiential exegesis of what just happened here. Verse 13, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Judas calls me Master. The rest of you acknowledge me as Lord. And the reason you better throw your shot at moving into the hood of servanthood. First, first, this is number one. It is because serving is the only way to truly follow Jesus Christ. That is the experiential exposition. Now look at the application in life in verse 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I've done to you. Because the number one source of problems in Christ's body, the church, is a violation of the principle of Christ's example. God gave us two ordinances. Baptism guards the door of the church, and Lord's Supper that guards our ongoing membership. And so baptism is done initially so that you can show us you really got saved, believe in the same gospel we did, And the Lord's Supper is done periodically to keep you right with Christ and right with us. But Jesus now provides an example, not an ordinance, because this is something you got to do every day. God calls us to serve because it's only by serving the word that we really follow Jesus. So move to the hood of servanthood. And this is number two. Because serving displays your confidence in God's word. Are you going to do what Jesus commands you? You know, it's one thing to say you trust God. It's another thing to show that you have trust in God by your example following his word. So it is normal behavior for people who are filled with the spirit and walking in the spirit to love, serve, and edify others. So I want to tell you today, you are not diminished by servanthood when your security is in God's word. Because watch this, verse 2 tells us, not only was Judas there, but Judas had already decided to betray Jesus. So wait, wait, Jesus has somebody by his side who's not actually on his side, and yet Jesus does not let that deter him. Jesus stays in the game anyway, not being distracted by haters even at church. He stays focused on the Father's assignment to serve. So when Jesus washed feet, he did not exclude Judas. He didn't argue with Judas. He didn't cuss out Judas. He took Judas at face value based on his prior profession. So he's trying to make Judas better and give Judas One more last chance to repent right through this process. Because when you truly trust God, he gives you power to disciple believers, to edify saints, even to handle your haters, to encourage your enemies and minister to your neighbors. So when you trust God, you're able to love those who do not look like you and do not talk to you right. Because when your confidence is in God, you don't stop your go. You do not quit your continuing. You don't just hold on. 
You keep on, press on, run on. You, you, you keep on serving. You keep on singing. You keep on speaking. You keep on shouting. You keep on tithing. You keep on loosing. You keep on bonding. Because your confidence is not in man. It is in God's words. When you were trying to get your seat today, did you see anybody you could serve? Will you serve somebody by inviting them to come next Sunday for Easter? Will you serve somebody next Sunday if we need regular members to go to overflow rooms or or I've got to ask for last minute help someplace? Will you serve by being discipled and getting ready to disciple somebody else and edify them and build them up in the Bible? This is the, this was the first time, as Brian was speaking, this was the first time I, I had heard today that actually the greatest need in the uh, hospitality area is for somebody to drive our shuttle. Now, I can, I can understand that because it's, it's kind of an old broken down thing. I mean, it's had the catalytic converters stolen off of it. The door doesn't work right. And uh, we're getting a new one. I want you to know, we put in an order, we're getting a new one. Now, it's made by Ford. You've heard of the Shelby Cobra? Well, this is not that. But, but it will be one you won't be ashamed to, to drive. And you know, the first Sunday I came here 10 years ago, we discovered how many, it takes, how many people it takes to break this building in one service. As I recall, it was something like 482. So I hope that we break this building again, at least in one, if not both services, next Sunday. Why? Because servanthood is the best hood, and you need to bet on it, because that's the only way to follow Jesus. Any other way, and you waste your shot in this life, because number three, serving is what breaks the grip of your own self-centeredness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, look not every man on his own things, but look every man also on the things of others. Whenever God shows you a need, God is giving you the opportunity to serve. Jesus, unapologetically and with no ambiguity, calls every one of his followers to serve by dealing with the dirt of others. Jesus says, I want this to be a distinctive characteristic of every believer who bears my name. And you know what? All it takes is water and a towel. So if you're here and you're not asleep, I know just what you're saying. Alan, you sure are stirring my Kool-Aid today. And uh, I don't know who told you my business, but since you're already up in my business, don't let me leave here till you show me how can I get beyond the grip of my own selfishness. I mean, we're all centered on self. So one of the major challenges in serving is to get beyond the gravitational pull of ourselves and live a life that is larger than us. So this is going to strike you strange because you do know that scripture suggests, and this is letter A, you must, you must take the first step by getting up. That's something you must do. John 13, verse 4, Jesus riseth from supper. I mean, you ought to just turn to your neighbor and say, get up off of that thing. No, I'm saying go full James Brown on them. Get up off of that thing and serve till you feel better. Servants do the best they can do with what they have, and they start right now. Why? Because they know there are no perfect people. 
There are no perfect circumstances. And there are no perfect churches. But here's your shout cue, so don't miss it. Things do not have to be perfect in order for God to bless it. I mean, we shout about grace because grace is God looking at my imperfect mess and working out a perfect miracle. So I'm not sure exactly who I'm preaching at now, but God told me to tell you, do not close the door on your miracle. Do not throw away your shot. Do not be distrustful of God. Suspend your disbelief. When it looks hopeless and pointless, God can work even now. So watch verse 4 and recognize, and this is letter B, you must lay aside your own pride. That's what it meant when Jesus laid aside his garments and took up a towel. Verse 4, and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Then look at verse 5 and and see how you must, and this is letter C, focus on meeting their need. Verse 5, after that, he poureth water into a basin. Now, in the Bible, water is a Bible type. Water is a Bible picture of the Word of God. And remember, Jesus is giving you an example, not an ordinance. And Ephesians 5, verses, verse 25 says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So wait, context, he's, he's loving it to the end. He's loving it to the uttermost. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. So check this, because here's what it means when 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he cleanses us, even after our sins have already been forgiven when we first trusted Christ and got saved. So what it means is, and this is our third point for study, it means that you must have a daily relationship with the Bible which cleanses your conscience so that you can become a servant just like Jesus who will take the words of God and be able to cleanse others. The Bible says Jesus cleanses us with washing of water by the word. So in the final analysis, John tells us in verse 5, and this is letter D, how you must use the word of God to do the work of cleansing other people. So now Jesus begins to stoop toward each disciple's feet Just like a sinner named Mary had stooped in the last chapter, chapter 12, verse 3, to anoint his feet. So wait now, in in other contexts, in other gospels, you know, it talks about this, this particular person may have been a sinner that Jesus had cast seven demons out of. And yet now, verse 5, in chapter 13, Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He puts himself in the same position Mary had been. I mean, it was his humility which got him to the place that turned his towel into a testimony. So Jesus calls us to deal with our dirt and to deal with the dirt of others. We do that by getting them saved. And by discipleship, watch Psalm 119, verse 9, there on your handout. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. John 15, 13, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. 
We say, but Alan, you know, I don't, I don't think I have enough time to serve. I don't have enough time to save someone, disciple someone, or even serve when I'm here. Well, can I just tell you the number one enemy to compassion and ministry and soul winning and servanthood is our own self-described busyness. Verse 16, verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So to become a real servant, you've got to be willing to be interrupted. I mean, most of Jesus' miracles, most of his ministry comes out of interruptions. I mean, he's preaching in a house and somebody starts tearing up the roof so they can lower someone down to him who needs to be healed while he's talking. But good parenting means willingness to be interrupted. Good marriage means willingness to be interrupted. So in his closing remarks, Jesus says one more thing and then I'm out. Verse 17, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now, not everybody knows, and that is to our shame. Not everybody knows the gospel, and not every believer knows their Bible. But I encourage you to move into the hood of servanthood because this is the only way to guarantee your blessing. The triumph on Palm Sunday alone, that will not do it. Happiness only comes from blessing, and Jesus says you'll be blessed if you follow Palm Sunday celebration with weekday service. So Jesus tells us three things about this guaranteed blessing. Verse 10, you're already prepared for it because you're washed. Verse 15, you've already got a down payment on it because he's given you his example. Verse 17, if you do this, you will be blessed. Okay, now let's return to the answer of Jesus to Peter's original question. You remember his question? I mean, we've left all and followed you, so what are we going to get? Matthew 19, verse 29. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father, mother, wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Why don't you test God starting today and see if you can make him break that promise? Because if you do this, it says you will always be blessed to be happy. Jesus says, you'll be blessed by a hundred times as much in this present age and the age to come a bonus, everlasting life. Do you believe that enough that you would reorder the value system of your own life based on this promise of Jesus? That if you take up a towel, if you move to the hood of servanthood and you use the word of God to wash others, your life will actually be blessed as you are blessing. You know, at some point, you've got to take a calculated risk. At some point, you've got to place a bet and stop throwing away your shot. Anybody who's gambling with something as important as their life destiny like you are, well, you ought to really weigh these odds, because one day it's going to be truth or consequences for you. It will either be God's truth or your consequences. And somebody's going to be proven right and someone's proven wrong. And somebody's going to be vindicated and exonerated and somebody's going to be condemned. Now, if I am wrong about this today, 
All it means is I've given my life to love. I mean, all it means is I've sought peace and I've worked for the common good of the community through the gospel and I've I've served my society in ministry and I've pursued my greatest potential in God's call and I've spent my life trying to make disciples for the kingdom of Christ. That is all I lose if I'm wrong. But flip that script. And if I'm right, that means you must be born again. If I'm right, that means Jesus is the way. Service is the call. Faith is the victory. God is the creator. The Bible is the truth. The Holy Ghost is our power. Jesus rose from the dead and heaven is our home. If I'm right, then no weapon formed against me shall prosper. The wicked will cease from troubling me. The weary will get some rest. Jesus is coming back. The devil is defeated. Trouble, it won't last always. And we will be caught up in the air to meet Christ, not on the ground, but in an upper room experience. If I'm right, then God does answer prayer. He will fight my battles. He will make a way. He can give me joy. He has set me free. Oh, if I'm right, then they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Because if I'm right, I've been qualified, justified, sanctified. I am bona fide, fortified, rectified, one day glorified. The devil is horrified and Jesus is magnified if I'm right. You can be saved today because faith comes by hearing And you've heard the words of God. So Daniel chapter 2, chapter 12, verse 2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. God's truth or your consequences. And if you've heard and you want to be saved today, all you have to do is pray. Because if I'm right and God is real, then all you have to do is make heart contact with him in prayer. And when you pray, all you have to do is trust Jesus for exactly what he promises you. Everlasting life. John 6 verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, God the Father, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 47, verily, verily, I say to you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. All you have to do is pray. Just pray right now and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. Jesus, I trust in you for everlasting life. I believe so that I can receive you by your Holy Spirit right now. Make me born again because of my faith in your finished work on the cross for me. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. 